Oh, oh, one more thing. Just One More Thing, a podcast all about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time we're talking about Forgotten Lady, originally broadcast September 14th, 1975, written by William Driscoll, directed by Harvey Hart, and starring Janet Lee, John Payne, Maurice Evans, and Peter Falk as Columbo. And every episode of Just One More Thing, of course, we're joined by a special guest. This time around, it's Kevin Clawiter, co-director of a company that has just wrapped up a production of Prescription Murder, the very first Columbo mystery. We're going to talk to him about that as well as today's episode. But before we bring him on, RJ, refresh my memory about Forgotten Lady. Hey, John, you know what's rough? What's rough, RJ? Being a star. You know what's even rougher? Uh. What's even rougher than that? Not being a star. You know what's uh, even rougher than that? Nope, my intelligence is taxed. What is rougher than that? Being a star, then not being a star. It's awful. Uh-huh. And that's just where we find Grace Wheeler Willis, former star of stage and screen, reduced to only being an enormously wealthy lady who watches her movies over and over in a private screening room in her palatial mansion. Truly a terrible life. But she has a plan for a comeback. All she needs is 500 grand to stage a big, big Broadway show. Unfortunately, her retired pathologist husband won't loosen the old purse strings. Lots of body to do, but slip him a Mickey and then fake his suicide. Naturally. As she dances around the details of Columbo's investigation, the lieutenant has to do some fancy footwork of his own to stay ahead of police brass, who have noticed he hasn't shot his gun in ten years. Come on, Columbo, those bullets are there for a reason. All right, that's the episode... Kevin, welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, well, thanks for coming on. Now, when you contacted us uh, a few months ago, uh, yeah, it's because you were actually co-directing a production of um, Prescription Murder. And when I found that out, so many questions uh, popped into my head, chief of which, um, how the person playing the role of Columbo, how do you address that? How do you, what's your advice to that person playing a role that's so inexorably linked with a very specific performance by a very specific actor for such a long time. What do you tell that guy who's playing Columbo as a director? How did you address that? Oh, well, in our case, we had a terrific actor to play Columbo. He, his name is Kevin Tendall. He, I actually first met him a year ago when I was acting alongside of him in the Mad Hatter's production. And really, as soon as when I saw, as soon as I met him, as soon as I got to know him backstage, I thought, you know, if I were to ever do prescription murder, he would be the perfect Columbo. Really? And, and, and yeah. also, and also, well, actually, uh, let, let's go back to that a little bit. So even at that point, like, how long have you been um, uh, thinking about that you wanted to actually stage a production of this play? Uh, well, it's actually a kind of a complicated story. Well, I just moved to back to Wadena f- after graduating college, for, and Wadena is my hometown, small town that I grew up in. So okay. I, so I'm aware of the Mad Hatter's company, and I've been in some of their things in the past. And I, I had a very small role in the in that summer's spring production, and literally three lines in the middle of the play. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of time just to sit back and, and observe people and, and fill in for other people when they know, but when that person wasn't there for practice. Okay. And the director of that show, uh, uh, Michelle Curtis, my co-director, who deserves so much credit for helping get this off the ground, she was very. She was such a, a great, a great uh, co-director. She really took charge in lots of the things in this. And uh, oh, she was impressed by me when I was having to fill in for some of the parts. And I actually mentioned in my audition form that I'd like to do some directing or, and other stuff along those lines in the future. Okay. So, so she and I were just kind of talking about stuff, and she, yeah, she showed me some. Um, scripts she was looking at, and I showed her like a, a pile of scripts that I had in my collection just for reasons. Mm-hmm. And Prescription Murder happened to be one of those. And she and she read Prescription Murder, and she said, "You know, I think we're going to do this next spring." And then fast forward about eight months, she called me and asked me if I wanted to co-direct it with her. Oh, that's great! Yeah. Well, I, so that that's interesting because I, uh, if I was doing a theater company, I would actually be kind of intimidated to do this play because. Um, like with an audience, you're going to have such uh, preconceived notions of what it's going to be when you're coming in because this this has been around for such a long time, the character of Columbo, the TV series and everything. So I 
I, I'm impressed that you folks did it because yeah, I would be like, oh man, I I don't know if we I could pull that something like that off. So what uh, what did you what did you tell him uh, in terms of direction to do with the part? You just kind of like uh, just forget Peter Falk ever did it and just make it your own based on what's on the page, or did you try to have him pepper it in a little bit? I mean, what, what did you folks uh, do to get him doing this role? Uh, it was a combination of both, you know. Naturally, at first, I encouraged him to kind of uh, to kind of make it his own, just kind of do off the page. Because you guys mentioned this when you talked about Prescription Murder, the TV episode. So much of it's already there. I mean, basically, the right. the, the character is so self-contained in the in the uh, play that there's barely any modification mm-hmm. to be needed for it. But but he was it. But I encouraged him to to add his own things to, to to make it his own. But he also he was a big fan of Columbo himself, so he was at so he did a whole lot of research into the into Peter Falk's acting and things like that. So he was able to add some of Peter Falk's in in addition to his own stuff. And really, we were just so blessed just to have have Kevin Kevin as an actor. Just he was just so absolutely perfect for the part. Right. Did you were there any points where you had to kill him? Like okay, uh, throttle back. The fall, because you don't want the, you don't want somebody just doing like an impression of them. You want it to be something kind of original. You know, did that ever come up as an issue at all, or was he like, oh. did he know how to do the right mixture of both? Oh, he 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 knew it from the beginning. He knew exactly what to do. And and how how did the uh, how did the production go? I mean, did you get good houses? How how was it? Yeah, we, we had a re- we had a really good turnoff. We had. We made a we made a really good profit, which is not always, which is something that the Manhattan is always is looking for. We made right. a good profit. We okay. got a whole bunch of people, and the audiences seemed to love it. We had people talking to us like for for weeks after the show, and then just talking about how much they liked it. Oh, good, good, good. And, and we actually had reports of people who were just like sitting on the uh, in the small in the neighborhood cafes, just talking about how much they liked the show, like the day after. Well, I mean, and that, that's interesting, though. I mean, did you ever have, like, how many people uh, did you have uh, talking to you about it uh, who actually cited the fact that, like, oh, well, you know, we used to watch the TV show, so it was nice seeing an actual live production of something maybe they hadn't even seen? Because uh, it's not really a common episode that comes up at all. So it was, like, kind of almost, I would guess for some people, almost like seeing a new episode of Columbo live in a way. I mean, did you hear folks bring up the TV show with you at all with it or no? Uh, sometimes, some people ask. Few people ask me if, if I was a fan of Clumbo or if my or if my dad was a fan of Clumbo because, of course, be, be being my age, I'm I was introduced to the show through my through my dad watching it. Oh, I was going to ask actually how uh, actually you came uh, to be a fan. Actually, came to be even familiar with the play. Actually, was it because growing up, just growing up, I was. A- it was one of those shows that, that seemed to be on every so often. No, it stuck out to me as something special. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And so. And when I, and I'm sort of the compulsive guy who once I really get into something, I research it to death. So right, yeah, no, no. I mean, and, and, and Columbo is actually a really good show for that. Yeah, so <laughs> some I, ways, yeah. And so I get into there. I discovered that there was a play. It was based on a play. So I thought, hey, that looks interesting. So I decided just on impulse to buy a used copy of the script off Amazon, and yeah. Okay, cool. And I'm sure it was always a huge problem. Uh, the, the guy playing the killer, he always had to tell him, like, stop imitating Gene Barry all the time. <laughs> because, boy, yeah. when some people get their Gene Barry impressions, <laughs> you can't you can't get off of that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah well, well, Doug Doug Curtis, he's the guy who played Fleming, and yeah, he, he was also really good. He actually was interested in playing Columbo himself, but at that point, uh, uh, Kevin was pretty much in my head as the Columbo. Well, actually, I, I, that, that's interesting, too, because I was wondering about that. The auditions... Uh, what was the audition process like? Did you have people coming into auditions where they would just try to do a bad Falk impression, or no? Like, did you have people coming like that? I'm not doing no, no. Don't do that. Do the, the. We want you to play the guy. I mean, did anybody actually do that for the auditions? No, not not okay. really. Good. We only had. We actually we didn't have that big of a turnout for auditions. To be honest with you, we had about. Yeah. Eleven people show up for for a cast of eight. So it's not. Oh, that's a so not a lot of people went home sad. That's good. Yeah, not, um, and, and actually, uh, so you just did this production back in, it was April, right? Early April? Yep. Okay. And, but it's, you're doing it again and, and tell folks about that. Yeah. Well, we, it was part of our, our strategy. We were going to do it for, for one week in April and we're also doing it for two weeks in August in a, at a dinner theater called oh. Elmer, 
called Elmer's Texas Barbecue, which is located in Battle Lake. <laughs> in, in Minnesota, right? Yep. Okay. And uh, when, exactly when in, like, what are the dates in August? And uh, if, if you're in the neighborhood, if you're in the area, uh, how would folks go about uh, finding out how to get the tickets if they're available yet? There, the, the tickets are available. You can go to the Elmer's Texas Barbecue website. They have okay. the, the weekend. It's, it's like, I believe it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the weekend of the 5th and the weekend of the 12th of August. Okay. So the first weekend's in August. All right, and, and what was the? Well, I'm sorry, what was the town again in uh, Minnesota where this place is? Battle Lake, Minnesota. Okay, cool. And and what what's and yeah, so they can go to that uh, the website for the barbecue joint to get the tickets. They're on sale now. Uh, go and see it, and and have I'm assuming uh, some good barbecue because if there's one thing uh, Minnesota is known for, it's the barbecue. <laughs> well, it's better than Nudafisk. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's I think true. it's so charming that this is taking place in a barbecue dinner theater. This is a barbecue dinner theater in Minnesota, which I didn't, th- I never really thought that. But would that's be- like the Radio City Music Hall in Minnesota. That's like the peak if you hit a barbecue dinner theater, right? Yeah, I know. Same, maybe same in Michigan, where I'm from. It's like, oh, oh, oh a really good barbecue joint in Michigan, <laughs> in, in in like Petoskey, Michigan. Oh, well, it's it's the best barbecue joint around in the Upper Peninsula or something. Yeah, but we also have, but we also have the the you know, of course. The Guthrie Theater in the Twin Cities, and there's a really nice Chen Hassan Theater Theater. Where, that's actually where Amy Adams got her start. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. What? So there's a there's a big theater community in Minnesota. Actually, yeah, I, I only did like a dinner theater thing once. I was uh, in Mousetrap in a dinner mm-hmm, theater in Chelsea, Michigan, one time, and that was a lot, a lot of clinking of plates. Yeah, which gets a little distracting. It's a little yeah, like, oh, okay. Thanks, yeah, everybody. Yeah, we've been encouraged to um to try to, to modify our show, but you know, try to like play to the audience a bit more in the you know in the in the dinner theater setting. Which oh, yeah, that's weird. Oh, okay, yeah, I can just, see that. Yeah, because when they're not, because what the, the dinner theater actually usually does, they usually have like one of their big over-the-top melodrama things. Is what they uh, do like their... a musical or something? Not not sometimes not so much a really uh, tense, terse murder mystery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that does seem like an odd fit for it. But you know what? I think it might pull people in, you know, if they, they play the Columbo angle. I think it, I think it might actually do well. Yeah, yeah and, we're really, and we're really looking forward to, to to working in that different environment. With actually, We're actually replacing a cu- couple members of our cast had to be replaced due to scheduling issues. So that's, that's also going to be an interesting, uh, different take on it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but you got plenty of time. It's not until August, so I think uh, yeah. folks have plenty of time. I'm sure it'll go well, and I hope everyone uh, breaks legs, and <laughs> and your William and not, Wyndham stays face. healthy. So we'll see, yeah. All right, well, uh, congratulations on that, but uh, now uh, let, let's move on to our actual episode, Forgotten Lady. Uh, now, why was this one of the episodes uh, that you wanted to do? Well, it is one of my favorite episodes, actually. It's one okay, of my cool. probably in my top five, at least, and also just just you know, the the theater aspect of it. I think kind of played into what the the reason I I had the audacity to email you in the first place. No, it's not audacity. It, it was it was really uh, great to because we love getting emails from our listeners first and foremost, but also uh, yours. It was just such an interesting situation to actually see someone actually uh, who actually who listens to the show and was staging a production of pretty much. You know, the headwaters of Columbo, the thing that all of it sprang from, uh, that someone was actually doing it. Uh, that, that was just kind of, like, fascinating to us that uh, somebody was doing it. And then also, uh, care to download our little uh, fake radio show about an old murder program. So that's nice. So, um, but yeah, no, this episode, I also enjoy a great deal, too. In fact, I thought we were going to talk to about it about, like, two or three episodes ago. So I was all ready. <laughs> I was all set this time. It finally caught up to RJ. I don't know. I, yes. I imagine you champing at the bit. Let's hear it, RJ. What's your What's your number one idea you wanted to share about this episode? My oh, geez, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Okay, it's kind of a dumb one, actually. All right, no, that's <laughs> good. Let's start small. Well, no. Um, to me, the biggest mystery in this episode. Mm-hmm. So you got the butler and the maid in in the fancy house, <laughs> and yeah. while the murder is happening, they're watching uh, the Tonight Show. Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. And from the clues of whatever episode they're watching, I've looked at uh, schedules for Carson uh, when this was this episode was made and broadcast. I cannot for the life of me figure out exactly what episode they're watching. None of it matches up at all. Della Reese is I, on no, there. Wait, I, thought I, I thought I was able to contact you because I looked for the episode that happened afterwards. 
because one of the things that we we see when they're when they finish watching the Tonight Show is Johnny mentions who the next guests are going to be. No, he so said like next week we're going. He says next week we're going to have Steve Allen, Elkie Summer, and I couldn't find any Friday or end of the week episode of Tonight Show that had Della Reese on a Friday, and then you got Steve Allen and Elkie Summer, and like there was somebody else. There's a who appeared in the following week. Of- some kind of magic juggler. I did. Yeah, I did that guy. I, could, I couldn't. I couldn't find. I couldn't find schedule wise. To me, I that's did. the greatest mystery. You did. Oh, well, I then, did. I will post it on the Tumblr. I will send you do. a link to. Please do if you can mystery. find it. I thought it. your mystery was going to be what accent is that maid trying to do? Oh, I know. <laughs> I, yeah, that's another one too. <laughs> I yeah, like. I, I gathered Irish thing of some sort. Yeah, yeah, something. I don't know. I, I thought it was a little stage Irish, but even for like that, it's not. Usually when people do stage Irish, it's usually quite over the top and they do a lot of this. But she was like really timid about it. So there's just a lot of like, absolutely, mum. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a weird, it's like she was almost holding back too much to make it seem even faker somehow. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, another thing with this episode, for me, it's one of the saddest Columbo episodes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's very sad, and you know, let's. Uh, we talked about this before we started recording. Let's get it out of the way right now, uh, because it has a twist, and it's strange because Columbo episodes don't often have like some sort of earth-shadowing twist at all. It's not a show that usually trades in that, and this one definitely does. And it's shocking and sad when it comes. And then if you watch the episode again, you see. Uh, where they've set it up and dropped hints to it so often throughout the episode. It becomes so glaringly obvious uh, once you actually know what the heck it is. Yeah, the first time you see this episode, or the first time you've seen it in a while, it seems to come out of nowhere, but when you rewatch it again, you see those yeah. little, like, small little moments that where they where they foreshadow it to you, and it becomes so much more tragic when you when you understand what, what's going on. Right, and yeah. let's just, we should say what it is. Um, at the end, um, uh, Columbo, it's, it's a big reveal. She's, uh, he's, he reveals to um, her old dance partner, played by John Payne, um, who has been trying to like steadfastly, like, no, she couldn't have done it. She couldn't have killed him. She couldn't have killed her husband. It couldn't have been her. Uh, Columbo reveals, like, oh, well, she's actually uh, slipping away. Dementia, her mind is going. And she likely doesn't even remember that she killed her husband at all because she's mm-hmm. just stuck in this one place. And as you watch throughout the episode, there's so many times where she can't ever remember Columbo's name. And you, you think like it's the usual Columbo thing. We're just out of annoyance with him. Right. Uh, it turns out, no, that's not the case. And there's other uh, bits and pieces. And then once you actually put that together and realize like, oh, no, this is awful. This is a sad, sad thing. Yeah. There's a there's another thing that happens when you go back and rewatch it, or if you just flashback to think about it. <clears throat> when we meet her husband for the first time, he's being kind of dicky to her. He's refusing to fund her show. He's he's getting angry with her about her insistence on restarting her career, and he's really hammering home this world cruise. Right. And the butler, I think, also mentions how much he's looking forward to the cruise. And in retrospect, you realize it's not for him. Right. He's picking this cruise because she has about two months before the dementia runs its course and she's going to be done. And he wants to show her the world one last time. Plus, if you're a star of this quality, she's an old dance star who maybe hasn't done a movie in about 20 years is what I took away from this, maybe a little longer. And you are perfect. You are still a celebrity for the age group of people who are going to be on a cruise ship. Oh, that's good. Yes, so think about that. Nice. Every time she walks on the deck, she is going to be a queen, and she's going to be treated like a star nonstop. And he's a smart fellow. He must have recognized that. So that makes his his murder just a hundred times sadder, knowing that he was trying to arrange this so so much. Well, and also uh, when when they're they're having their uh, <clears throat> uh, disagreement in the bedroom at the front at the front of the show, um, he he tells her like, "Oh, I know you didn't marry me for love." Oh, like, that oh, line. God, that's even more of like a little stab and knife twist in the, the gut. Yeah. Heart and, oh, God. Yeah, I mean, and even though he is kind of like shutting down her dreams in a way, he's actually doing it, you know, in a in almost nice way. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't seem to be angry at her. He doesn't seem to be you know, malicious about it either. So, no. that, that, yeah, he's trying to like spare her 
and that's anything else. and that is what happens when you're arguing with someone who you love, but you're trying not to tell them something. Is you you make these disconnected statements, or you say things that you know, telling her telling her that her dreams are childish. That's a thing that happens when you're trying so hard not to say something else, mm-hmm. and you say something kind of inadvertently hurtful. Which I thought was very cleverly written. Yeah, that's I, I, yeah. yeah. I have no, so much no. sympathy for that guy. Yeah, no, it, it, it was it was a terrible, terrible uh, way to go and a terrible reason yeah. for it. And the, the uh, fact that you, yeah, watch it again and you realize, yeah. oh, she kind of maybe doesn't remember that she did it the next morning. There is a weird thing, though, because she prepares for the murder before she has that argument. Right. She, she gets the pills out of the, the medicine cabinet before she even goes upstairs to talk to him. Yeah, we actually, that's actually something that we see in a few Columbo episodes. Like, we saw that in Short Fuse, for instance. You know, uh, Rodney McDowell like, prepared the cigar bomb and then got right. basically got his motives confirmed with his uncle. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so she knew it was coming. She knew some kind of argument was coming, and she had just was at her limit. And it's just amazing that, of course, it manifests itself as murder. Yes, <clears throat> that's a good way to pronounce. I like I like your uh, inflection murder. on murder. So there's yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, yeah, watching the sh- the episode again, so many scenes, uh, just seem to reflect not just her inability to keep a memory, but you know she's acting like a teenage girl, like a giddy teenager, right? For so much of it, or she gets angry instantly over nothing, which having. My my mother had early onset Alzheimer's, so I had to watch her go through something much like this. Mm. And that is absolutely how that works. You get stuck in a particular kind of era of your life for a very long time, but then anything that interrupts that becomes just worthy of absolute fury. Right, and the fact that she's watching the exact... You know, actually, the, the film she keeps watching, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting, too. It actually is an old Janet Leigh film from like the right. latter edge of when they were still doing these big movie musicals which I thought was I think, interesting they still use it um, but yeah, no, and normally and normally when I, I get ready to do something like this probably I guess I would I, try, I would try to see if I could find that but that's the movie that seems to be you know, dropped off the face of the earth in many ways no, yeah you, you, no. have to, you have to either be at her screening room or <laughs> whatever film archive Columbo went to to watch the film and time it exactly Right. You have to, that's the two places to see it. But the I fact that she watches as, that film every night over and over, yeah. that's another huge clue to this, too. Yeah, We've never seen it ourselves, but I, I bet we all have that theme stuck in our head. Oh, walking my baby back <laughs> home. Back home. Yeah, yeah. I think that was Buddy Hackett's film debut, I think. What? That'd be crazy. I, oh. I think it was mentioned in Cliff Nesteroff's The Comedian. Hey, would he have been a good Columbo? Buddy Hackett? Yes. As some he as was, some angry, vindictive comedian, he would have been good. You think? Because he was off? on a lot of cocaine. Well, that would make him this manic and crazy in it. And he did almost actually murder several people. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> of course right, he would. Okay with you would assume he'd do that. You would, yeah. Of course you'd assume that. Yeah. He would have been a good one. Anyway. Uh, anyway. There's another thing. like In terms of like, the, the, the clues to her condition throughout the thing, uh, Janet Lee does a really good job of... I mean, it's probably her plus direction saying, hey, do this thing bit, where she actually does this thing where she massages her temples every so often. She gets kind of <laughs> frustrated. Like, she knows something's wrong. She knows something is off, and she can't quite grasp it and hang on to what it is. And it's just, yeah, it's just this uh, whole episode. It's sad enough when you watch it the first time, but it completely changes once you know and you watch it again. When uh, When her former partner... You know, first of all, they're walking through the murder, but then he oh, that poor bastard yeah. loves her. Yes. And he you know, always loved her, and he still loves her. Yeah. And that look on her face of just rot panic is absolutely heart-wrenching. She does such a good job in this. Yeah, I was, Jenna is amazing in this episode. I think I mentioned to you before, I wish they brought her back because she she turned in a performance that is at least on par with McGowan, Culp, and Cassidy. Oh, she's great. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I kind of would think if they had brought her back some, I would have liked to have seen her in the um, uh, the makeup uh, one, the cosmetics company one. Like, her mm. playing that lead role in that would have been incredible. That would have been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. she would have been amazing at that, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is the sort of episode where you go on the uh, 
on the Columbo Award page in the IMDb and think, wait, Janet Lee wasn't nominated for an Emmy that year? What yeah, she was great, yeah. Yeah, what do you have to do to get an Emmy? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. This oh, is, you have to be nominated for an Emmy before. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know that, you know that, just to do an aside, but you know the Phil Hartman joke from News Radio? Uh, the year, the year that, the year that he died, he was finally nominated for an Emmy, and he lost it to David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> and and Dave Foley, I say, if I remember right, Dave Jesus. Foley said to um, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, "What the hell does Phil have to do?" <laughs> Real loud for everybody to hear it. Yeah, but I always think of that whenever there's an Emmy award. Is you know, even Hartman couldn't win one. Uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Columbo in this one now. Sure. Uh, a classic entrance for him where it's middle of the night and he is just groggy and tired and surprised at himself that he didn't show up in his pajamas <laughs> and just wants coffee and wants coffee and servants hate him right away. Which to me, that's <laughs> hitting all the Columbo entry uh, uh, check marks right there. Every single were one you, of them. Were you and, with me that this was, this was like the only time I've seen the Columbo showing up bedraggled thing that wasn't played for laughs? No, it, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, usually it's kind of like, oh, there's Columbo doing that. Yeah, he's just kind of, just the pacing of it. Yeah, you're right, it was different. You're right, now I think about it. This is, uh, of all the very cinematic Columbos, this is exceptionally cinematic. Yeah, this one did feel a you lot know? like a film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just just the way that they fully wrapped the magic of that, those long, like, huge huge like, staircases and all, um, mm-hmm. how they go, go through the house, and especially yep. the scenes in the projection room, those are incredibly cinematic. Yeah, there's something I... Oh, I, yeah. I try to remember, like, exactly when, but I have my notes, a lot of camera unfocusing. So I think they use that a lot, too, to kind of uh, get that across even further, the blurriness of her memory and right. things being... Yeah. Yeah, but that's... So Columbo has that great that great bit at the beginning, he, but throughout the episode, oh, you know, sorry, to actually get back to the comedy thing, there's another bit that with any other, I think, director or writer or whoever was in charge of this would have been a comedy bit, which is the cops routinely coming after Columbo to get him to the firing range. Oh, that thing, that <clears> was... But that, again, it wasn't really comedic, it was, it was just... Li- it wasn't... <clears throat> until the end, it kind of was when... Uh, yeah. Um, oh, what's his? It's five five dollars. The, the guy he gives the money to—that's the guy uh, who showed up in um, the last one we talked about, and I was so glad to see him um, in uh, Murder, Smoke, and Mirrors. That's the '70s sergeant. Oh, okay. Who's in that? That's the guy he gives the money to do that. But yeah, that's also an interesting thing because that's a really good. It didn't need to be in this episode, but it wasn't padding because it does a great thing of the Columbo doesn't carry a gun, doesn't give a damn about guns. Right, couldn't it, care less, and the 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 police force, eh, they don't look kindly upon that. No, but yeah, that, the, yeah. Sorry, that's actually one of the reasons why I like this episode so much. That I think more so than any in a lot of the episodes, this one release actually in its own way digs into who Columbo is as a human being. Yeah, yeah. no, oh, definitely, yes, yes. That I mean, line he's, he's got about uh, there's a light that goes on up here, and he's pointing to his noggin. Yes, I got that. Yes, I got that down. Yeah, and yeah. So, a light goes on up here, and sometimes I can't turn it off. That that's that, perfect. It's a great line, and it ident- like immediately tells you almost everything you need to know about Columbo. And and I I wish that was going to be the one I was using as the title of this episode or podcast, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, there's a well, better one that's creepy that I'm going to use instead. We'll wait to see. We'll wait yeah. to see. But yeah, that's an excellent. Yeah, that's a great line. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the great summary of Columbo uh, lines that are ever written for the series. I think. I'm I'm also a big fan of how, you know, obviously in true Columbo form, he suspects Grace immediately, right? And then he's you know sniffing around, won't leave her alone. But when he realizes what eventually will be the twist, he begins to realize that she's got some kind of mental issue. He read the, the medical report. Mm. He stops pursuing her and goes oh, over, right. goes over to her partner to have him help, not to trap him or to have him trap her, but to convince him so that the two of them together can do something. And then, and then diamond switches it up. Yeah. He at the very you know Columbo takes him into his confidence. Says you know she's got this problem. We're gonna she did the murder, but you know here's everything wrong with her. And he, he's treating 
Diamond like we're in this together. And Diamond's, right. Diamond's response is to you know flip the tables on him. Yeah, yeah. Well, let let's. See. You know what? Here's the thing. We talked about this a little bit before the show too. It, it's odd that yeah, this is one that has a twist and has weird things like that. But uh, if you haven't seen this, you've had forty years to the episode, so we'll tell you what happens. So Diamond <laughs> uh, pretty much says he's going to take the the rap for this because she's got maybe a couple months left to live. And uh, yeah, it's like well, it'll take a couple months to unravel all this, so he will be the one to take that until it's finally you know he's exonerated, of course, mm-hmm. but. <clears throat> but then the fact that Columbo goes along with it too is well that gets into one of those ones where this one might be a little unrealistic legally yeah. but uh, from from a tragedy from a story standpoint it it's it's uh, lovely and sad I mean to be fair it's going to be two months before it makes it to trial right yeah you know she she's going to pass she would have passed away before they got to it anyway but then no no further. Uh, any deeper investigation into it by anybody else other than Columbo is going to, you know, reveal like what? No, it could be him. He, he wasn't even here. Yeah, he, he was down in uh, down in Sacramento that night. What? What? I don't get this. <laughs> yeah, the first the first uh, non Los Angeles California city that fought, popped in my head just now was Sacramento. <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh, that's good. That's only about two and a half hours away. So yeah. See, no. See, I was right. <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, there we go. That would be enough of an alibi, I guess. Oh, and Ned Diamond, uh, her former dancing partner, uh, played by John Payne, who, as I was watching it the first time, thinking, like, this guy, this guy is familiar. Who is this guy? And he's the uh, attorney from um, Miracle on 34th Street. Oh. Yeah, he's a male lead in that, which is nice. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's now uh, has a, I guess, relatively successful uh, dance studio and dance education place that has one of the best logos I've ever seen. I love the signage on the outside of his building. I wrote that down because it's a wonderful, wonderful logo and build. It's this mid-century modern building and they use the little diamond shapes in the name. I, uh-huh. I, don't, I, don't, I don't dance. I'd go dance there. That's nice. I'd learn some tap. By the way, I'm wrong. It's six hours to, to Sacramento, so that's even better. That's a great alibi. <laughs> that's a great alibi. Holy crap. Yeah, and one thing I really loved was the the first scene between Columbo and Ned Diamond. Oh yeah, this is that this is that great. Like, oh yeah, Peter Falk doesn't even say anything. Just like the slow dawning realization that he's standing next to this guy who he loves so much, this actor who he loves so much. Yeah, that he sort of sort of starts recognizing him, and then once he's then he figures out who it is, and then he it's just, just like lights great... up like a like the biggest fan in the world, <laughs> and and then does the backhanded compliment, right. Yeah, like you had to be dragged to the movie. I'm glad you had to be dragged to the movies. There are so many really good lines in this one. This is a this is a very a writer who's very clever with back and forth. Yeah, no. Well, let, let's talk a little bit because um, these these guys, uh, the the writer uh, William Driscoll, the director Harvey Hart, also worked on some other good Columbo episodes. Oh yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, Mr. Driscoll, I'm scrolling down. Uh, uh, Driscoll wrote Identity Crisis. I know that. Yes, <laughs> this and then uh, Troubled Waters, the uh, cruise ship one, which I'm looking forward uh, to getting to with Robert Vaughn. Um, but I'm shocked no one's picked that one yet. I know I am, too. I, I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, the the director of this one also directed Now You See Him, uh, which you talked about with Aaron Blair. Uh, um, yeah, we got to uh, talk to someone someday about that episode. That we'll we just do it. We'll just do it at a. Uh, coffee shop or something. It won't All be right. recorded. Uh, by Dawn's Early Light, which is another one I want to get to because it's one of my favorite ones, if not my favorite episode of this. And A Deadly State of Mind. I love that episode. <laughs> the weird... Well, actually, uh, there's a bit of a connection to this. Um, the bookseller, uh, the guy at the bookshop, uh-huh. uh, Danny Wells uh, is the actor's name. Um, and also, he played Luigi on the Super Mario Brothers TV show. Ah, of course. <laughs> and also, is that was how he the... got his star on the Walk of Fame? I'm sure it is. Uh, he's also the announcer for the uh, game show in Magnolia. But also, uh, <laughs> he's one of the people at uh, George Hamilton's party in Deadly State of Mind. Oh yeah, because he's, he's a, a doctor. Talks seller. to him, but yeah, well, no, he's a doctor. On that <laughs> one. But I think it was like the same year as this episode. So I guess they didn't have the Law and Order rule that well, you can't play. Sure. On the thing, people will recognize you. They were fine with it. 
or just Hart liked working with him or something. I don't know. Yeah, so these these two have the director and the writer have a really great run on Columbo's. They were small runs, but they're really good, yeah. really good episodes. Yeah. And then when you look at their whole careers, they're both just journeymen. Nothing really stands out. There's nothing either of them did that's just you know mind blowingly amazing. That's just they were journeymen. They worked on a million TV shows. Yeah. 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 It well, tails the gold monkey. Yes. <laughs> T-H-E cat, which is weird. Oh, yeah. Because I actually have that TV show cited in my uh, notes uh, when she's in her cat burglar costume. <laughs> Jump out thing. I wrote, like, suddenly she's a cat burglar? T-H-E cat. It's like, wow. oh, hey. And then there you go. Harvey Hart also directed one episode of that Hello. Robert Loggia classic. I guess yeah. her her... Action suit. Yeah, so strange. It was a very strange thing and a, an incredibly clever and thought out. Yes. To suddenly get into your ninja gear. Not right. to put, by the way, not to put some kind of hat on your striking platinum blonde hair. <laughs> right. That's which, like a, which yeah. is going to look like a Christmas ornament bouncing across the lawn in the dark. But... Because, well, no, because even if the lawn wasn't lit for shooting a TV show at night, <laughs> it would. She'd still be just a glowing, floating head with that bright white hair, right, on the black outfit. But yeah, all right, whatever. I bet from far enough away, she looked like the little dot that leads you to sing lyrics on a, <laughs> on a for a sing along. Maybe that's it. <clears throat> so uh, as we're getting a little goofy, let's talk about the one thing that was fully comedic. What's that? Which is Columbo falling out of trees. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Because, well, the only, if uh, covers that, and covers back to her little uh, tree adventure, yes. Columbo yeah. stuck hanging out of a tree uh, while a party, like a fancy party is happening, and then Dog just comes and starts barking at him while he's right. trapped in a tree. And then he has to hang there for a while looking silly, and then he falls. Yes. And then we, uh, Grace gets that line off on him, something about, do, do, you, do you just enjoy hang, falling out of trees? <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I, this is, I'm sorry how dark this is, but I just realized this episode contains both the, the methods by which my uh, my two parents were killed. That's right. Oh, my God. Early, early onset Alzheimer's <laughs> claimed my mother and my dad fell out of a tree. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't hold me laughing against me. That just, it just strikes me. Well, I think there's a 90s episode uh, where someone gets melanoma and then a guy dies of having a stroke in prison. So that'll cover mine. That'll cover my folks, and then we'll be set. Oh, I love how you win that conversation every time. There's no winning. Good God. Hey, anyway. So sorry. Let's get back to the show. That's fine. And one thing that kind of wanted to mention is that uh, kind of goes back to the uh, tree thing is that Though, even though everybody's kind of like, treating Janet Lee's character like she's, you know, over the hill, she was only like in her, in her mid fifties when they shot this. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Uh, oh my god! And, yeah, they act they act like she's like in her sixties or seventies or something. And Flumbo is the only one who realized that she's still in great shape. I mean, she's still uh, and physically at least she's capable of doing everything. It's just right, mentally right. Is, is what is really what she's going through. Well, actually, let me. I'm, I'm looking up now how old John Payne would have been because it seems like John Payne. Uh, would have actually been closer to the age he was supposed to be when right. they were doing this. Yeah, because he was born in 1912, this was 1975. So, yeah, he would have been in his, he's in his 60s, so he actually seems a bit closer to the age his two characters supposed to be. Well, I don't know, though, because she would have been a really young ingenue there, because that's the way Hollywood kind of works with that jazz so yeah maybe it works but they were yeah you're right they definitely were trying to play her a lot older than she actually was right i think that's actually like part of the sort of shock value of her standing up in that big diaphanous nighty thing (sighs) and then zoop i'm a ninja all of a sudden that's meant to be kind of like you guys thought she was old she's limber and nimble (laughs) (laughs) you know if she'd stuck to it she could have taken angela lansbury's role on that uh, those exercise videos Wait, what? Oh, no, RJ, I have to introduce you to the highly uncomfortable Angela Lansbury workout slash sex advice for the elderly videotapes. Slash sex advice? Oh, yes. Wait, what? Uh, it's one of the... One <laughs> of the wait, 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 wait. Also, also, hold on, go back. You used the plural. 
I believe there was. I believe it was a series. Oh no! Oh dear! Oh no! Uh, we'll do a little plug for everythingisterrible.com. Well, there, sure there's, there's our, there's our, there's our next podcast. Remind me to once put we it get on through, once we get through um, the Columbo episodes. Uh, we'll uh, do a series of podcasts about that series of videotapes. Perfect. We're not going to survive. No. Oh my god, that's terrible. Our our children will have to add died by watching Angela Lansbury videos to their recollection of their parents' death. There you go. Perfect. Yes. Oh my god, our cadaveric <laughs> spasms while watching the uh, watching the episode. Um. Oh, I just was going to bring up something and I completely lost this. Hold hold on to, to page, that because so, yes, there was something that stuck with me, which is <clears throat> uh, so much of what pointed to this not being a suicide reminded me of the same uh, evidence in the Dorothy Kilgallen crime scene. Oh, really? I can't imagine there's a lot of connection there. For folks who have no idea, Dorothy Kilgallen was a originally a society reporter and then a politics reporter uh, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, was found having committed suicide. Gal Killen, as they used to say. Oh, that's right? Yeah. And uh, once got in a topless night fight with uh, Jinx Halkenberg. <laughs> no, I'm, I made that up. I made that up. But um, yeah, she was uh, she theoretically committed suicide. But among the evidence that seemed to indicate that she hadn't was that uh, the book on her nightstand had a bookmark in it. Ah, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And also, she'd also read that book. Huh. Oh, and her reading glasses were across the room. Oh. This is our next podcast. Yes, is I talk about theories. I talk about why Joan Crawford killed Dorothy Kilgallen. Is, was the, is that the theory? I thought the theory was she knew something about uh, JFK. No, it is. Well, it is. Yeah, That's yeah. it. She knew something about JFK. Yeah. She and, knew that Joan Crawford was actually the Joan second Crawford, shooter. Joan Crawford was the head of Coca Cola at the time, which, as you know, was in the bed with the CIA. <laughs> Let's do this podcast. <laughs> I'm all about the just confused, theories. confused. Ill-informed, uh, just mixed-up conspiracy theories. It's my favorite. It's absolutely my and favorite. And then making up stuff in there too. And there you go. But just oh, combining them all. Oh sure. Else, it's a it'll, be on, it'll be on our podcast network. <laughs> sure. If any anyone listening would like to join me and be the co-host on my Dorothy Kilgallen death conspiracy theory podcast, please let me know. I used to get here because I, I almost thought like, oh wait, wasn't she the one that was on a Hearst's boat? Uh, when what's his head was killed, like no, that was like head of Hopper. But see, that's another one you can combine in there. Like, oh, Dorothy Kilgallen, she was there at the Hearst yacht when it. Nah, forget it. Anyway, so we were talking about Columbo. That's right, Columbo, not uh, not columnists who are privy to weird things and may or may not have. <laughs> anyway, Definitely. hey, a lot of good stuff in this episode with dog. Dog eating ice cream. Yeah. You having to clean dog's dog. face off because he ate too much ice cream. Dog not supposed to bark, but barking. Yep, yep, mm -hmm. yep. Despite Columbo asking politely. Oh, oh, um, another thing, uh, yes. It, to pile on even more tragedy and sadness in this, uh, the scene at the table when um, uh, Ned Diamond is talking to Grace Wheeler about how he did love her, and then just kind of obliquely talking around why their career ended and why their movie career ended. About, like, some sort of drink driving accident. Yes. They sort of talk about it, but sort of don't. It's like, oh, my God. It's even it's even worse. It's even more tragic than it already is. You didn't need to. It's gilding the lily a little bit. Right. Well, I think they wanted to, to further explain why he couldn't dance. Right. You know, he couldn't be her partner, and it wasn't... He mentioned it was age, but I think it's it's better that they gave the him a much too, concrete yeah. vision. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's what a dark episode... Yes. Which I love. There's I have absolutely no problem with this, but it really was particularly grim. Yeah, but but the thing is not in a really oppressive way. It was just No, and not it was well done. It was strange. It wasn't like yeah. the, the 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 I don't know. I I find it hard to put it into words about how it's they like a did. gothic tragedy of some sort. Like yeah, that. but it, but it, they didn't overdo it. It wasn't really exploitative at all with any of the stuff it could have been. They could have been really cheesy and just really lathered on uh, the stuff really thick. And yeah. they didn't. They just put it all together really well. This is this is one of my favorite ones. This is a good episode of, of Columbo. It's a good episode of television, actually. 
Yeah, this should have been up for an Emmy. It's driving have. me nuts. Driving me nuts. And the weird thing is, it, it's usually on the show uh, when there's been episodes that have kind of uh, deviated from how they usually do things, and this one does that to a certain extent by having that twist at the end, by having uh, the murderer not actually being apprehended at the end. Usually, I feel like we'd be kind of like, "Eh, it was off because of that because they messed the formula," but it was fine, completely fine this yeah. time. Yeah, they did it the way it worked. Yeah, I think it's because they treated more uh, more as a subversion than an actual like break from the norm. It's like they yes, exactly, yes, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's that, that's exactly it, and a lot of it is down to performances. I mean, yeah, we said with Janet Lee, is she plays it so well, and once you know the reason for why she's doing certain things and having certain facial expressions and certain mannerisms in this, mm-hmm. you pick up on it and you see she's doing consistently throughout and she's doing an amazing job of it. This is, this is this is one of the best things I've seen her in really. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's hard to add much to this because, you know, know, so much of our, our show is about, you know, we, I, I'd like to think we do a lot of times celebrating what's quite good and then, you know, identifying what didn't work well. But this one's almost impossible because it's just uniformly solid. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. There isn't a lot to make fun of or pick at in this one, which is weird. Because even the good ones are like, eh, yeah, but that happened. This one, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the worst thing I can think of is uh, the garish uh, color and decorations in that fancy mansion. A lot of purple, <laughs> a lot of green. They, yeah. they had the Hulk uh, come in. Those were super their house. colors. It was, it was, yeah. But other than that, it's a good episode, which I'm sorry. Almost makes it for a not super exciting podcast because there's not a lot to like, ah, look at that thing they did. Like, no, it's Yeah, it's just fine. like the podcast really should have just been us briefly interviewing Kevin about the play and then saying, go watch the episode. Yes, which, <laughs> do that. Go watch the episode. You know what? Even if uh, you hadn't seen it and you do know what you know now from us talking about it openly... There you go. It'll it'll be even more helpful because you can then concentrate on the performances and uh, how they set it up. I suppose uh, we but, haven't yeah. we haven't spoken enough about Butler yet. Oh yeah, who he does was, have like a good? He is a good part, but it's a, your kind and, of standard uh, uh, proactive role. Yeah, it's it's the guy who the the um, folk the type of person uh, who hates Columbo, and that's it. Mm-hmm. The uh, I I am finding out. That uh, this guy played butlers a lot, Maurice Evans, and in- including in The Jerk. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I mostly knew him as um, uh, what? Like I think um, Samantha's uh, father on uh, Bewitched. Yes, which yes. I, I've recently started watching Bewitched because I got one of those TV antenna things. Okay, and you, so you get all the old timey TV channels. And shocked to discover that Sam's father had ever appeared. Oh. It was a shock. Yeah. I never, never knew she had I didn't. I never watched Bewitched a ton. but Yeah, yeah. Her parents were divorced, hated each other, and yeah, he's a fancy <laughs> British fellow. Yeah. All right, that's good. Whose looks did she get? No, nah, let's not talk about Bewitched. Let's yeah, go back. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, oof, somebody else is not the other. That was, she, she got it from somebody else in the family because, boy... She's she much ma- better. She was much better looking than those two. She magicked them up, my friend. There you go. That that's a magic uh, nose job. Magic, uh, magic face. Yes, magic face. Magic him, face him. Well, I mean, do you want to? We could kind of wrap things up because there's not much to say except this is a good episode. Oh, well, one yeah. thing, one point I wanted to make. Um, this is like how many episodes where um, some sort of crucial point of evidence uh, comes upon the cutting of film. Seems like that's happened a few yeah. times in the series. Well, there's always there's so much Hollywood stuff in Colombo, and necessarily because they're in Los Angeles. Right. I mean, three so, I can definitely think of. It's uh, cutting and timing of film. There's this one. Make, uh, me, make a me a perfect, perfect murder. murder. And then also... Um, the double um, exposure. That yes, idea. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the, the Culp one where he's doing the uh, subliminal stuff. Yeah. The, like, those three at least, and I who knows if there's a 90s one or two also where... It hinges on editing and cutting film and whatnot. It's like, oh boy, yeah. I bet this is like if you uh, if you've ever been friends with pizza delivery guys, <clears throat> every pizza delivery guy has an idea for a movie, a cartoon, a comic book, a novel, oh, something right. 
about a pizza delivery guy. Well, I mean, that's the thing, too. I've always, uh, you know, one of the most boring things for audiences is a movie about making movies. Yeah. And yet people who make movies want to make movies about making movies because that's their world. That's their job. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever expect anyone to want to read a story or watch something uh, made about uh, making web pages and emails all day. No one's going to find your job interesting. They want to know something about their actual life, and it's like, eh. <clears throat> I can't believe you just, you've never seen Julie Julia. What's Julie Julia? That's the, uh, that's the novel about, or the movie about the, uh, the Julia Child blogger. Oh, right. Biopic. Oh, the film, yeah. the film, yeah, was, um, uh, Meryl Streep. Literally, literally yeah. half the film was, was, uh, Exciting typing scenes? Yeah, like, designing a blog. What's my font color going to be? That's three minutes. What? <laughs> my God. Because <laughs> yeah. said that the movie would be better if they just got rid of that entire half of the story. Right. Ugh. Like, RJ, a story. You'll, you'll love this. There's literally a scene in the movie where Amy Adams and her, and her boyfriend are watching the Dan Aykroyd, Julia Child impression from that old Saturday Night Live. So they're just that's spinning wheels so much. Like, oh, I'll throw the, the sketch through. on. What? They, they watch the entire cut sketch? a second. The whole sketch. We watch the whole sketch as the audience. That's dumb. That's insane. It is the worst thing I've ever seen in a Why film. Why would you do that? <laughs> oh, like, you know, well, let's just sit down and watch this episode of another, like a half hour sitcom. The characters in a t- movie <laughs> sit down and watch an episode of Seinfeld. And then the, it takes place in real time. We were watching the entire episode of Seinfeld with commercials on the big screen, and that's the movie. I, uh, there we I go. actually did think of something we didn't discuss, which is the phenomenon that does not exist anymore of big theatrical releases that are just clips from other movies. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, God. That's a huge one. Yeah, because obviously at the beginning of this film, um, it's, it's a premiere of something like um, That's Entertainment. Right. Except I forget what they call it in this one. It's um, Song and Dance is what yes. they call it with uh, Army Archard. Uh, interviewing the stars of your days of yours, they come out. But yeah, because I mean, uh, when this came out seventy five, that was a huge surprise hit. Uh, that's it entertainment. Was, yeah. They did like three or four sequels, I think, as they kept digging down farther and farther into <laughs> more and more films <laughs> that nobody remembered or cared to remember for good and reason. And then uh, right at the right at the tail of that trend, I remember there was a. Uh, there was one hosted by the various members of SCTV and SNL that was all about really crummy B movies. Oh, you remember this? It's like it I came remember, from the re- back yes. row or something like that. I think I remember seeing that uh, VHS box in my local library as a kid. Right. And he used to play Joe it on. Flaherty was on the back of it and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to play it on um, uh, HBO all the time. Oh, uh, okay. Back when HBO had to do a lot of filler. Yeah. Yep. The good old days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, go around then. Uh, starting with Kevin. Uh, obviously, you picked this one, uh, but but overall, I'm asking this, but you already said it. But uh, tell us a little bit about, briefly why this is one of your favorites and and how, why we would recommend this to other folks. Well, I just think it's uh, one that just has just that the deeply tragic feel to it, something that you don't get often from TV shows. And from Columbo particularly, because Columbo often has such just a light touch to it, but yeah. it also just gives you such a deep feeling of who, of how compassionate and just deeply uh, hum, humanist Columbo is, just as a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, just be- between how he handles a Jane Lee's character, and also, even with that, with that gun subplot, just gives you a really uh, deep feeling of just how of completely humanist this guy is, mm-hmm. and then just the whole the look of it is just so well directed. Just so, from just from the visuals and just from how how the actors are just blocked here and there everywhere. It's just oh yeah, it's it it's really is tough to find anything to not love about this episode. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I I agree with everything you say. This I I've been who knows how many times I've said this over the last the thirty six thirty seven episodes, but um. Yeah, this is definitely up there as one of my favorite ones, and I yeah. didn't, I <clears throat> hadn't really seen it until I saw it a couple times for this, for the podcast. But yeah, this this is this is a heck of a thing, front to back, top to bottom. Um, yeah, it's got great Columbo moments. It's got him doing the great detective work, uh, being a decent human being, like you said. Um, uh, Jenna Lee is is amazing in it. 
John Payne is great in it. It's yeah, I there isn't like a weak spot or seam shown in this whole thing. I don't uh, think. Not at all. John. Yes, sir. Uh, what What are you thinking? What would you rate it? I I wonder if we gave Falk enough credit for how well he played off of Lee and then was able to carry so much of the emotional weight yes. once that we'd kind of gotten the story of her illness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of the forward motion, forward motion in Columbo so often relies on the, uh, the killer panicking or the killer trying to hide the crime. Right. And, and she it, has no this, idea to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So Columbo has to do so much heavy lifting in this episode. So it's a real showcase for Falk as well as for Lee. Um, I have, I, I honestly, this might be my favorite episode. What? As, really? As hard as it was for me to watch because of, of right. personal, you know, re- reasons, I don't, I'm going to put it at least in my top five. I wow. got to sit, someday I'll sit down and figure out that list because I keep putting Yeah, I know. I, I keep, I, I've said it so many times. I know. <laughs> as I was thinking it, I was saying it, I was like, I said, so this is one of my favorites a ton <clears throat> of times. And yeah, I got to figure yeah. that out. With, I got to figure it out without actually going back and listening to other episodes of our podcast. I got to figure it out some other way. But yeah. I'm just gonna. We got that list. I'll just look at the list and figure it out. Yeah. But um, yeah. So obviously, highest ten, 10 out of ten. Not remembering that detective's name. There we go. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, one of the finest episodes of the show. It, it's great. It's a wonderful example of program. If you're going to see a Colombo episode, watch this Colombo episode. Well, maybe. Another one that's a bit more traditional structural. Yeah. But uh, definitely watch, watch, watch this watch, one. Watch this one after that one. Whatever get that about is. Two, two really good regular Columbos under your belt. And then get this feel. Yeah, yeah. Then do this one. Then do maybe one, yeah. a friend indeed so you can see like two subverting ones in a row. Right. Yeah. And then watch Undercover. And oh, <laughs> oh, no. Never do that. Never do that unless there's a, a wager gone sour. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Kevin, for doing the program. And, and once again... Uh, first two weekends in August, correct? And that is correct. Um, uh, prescription murder, and uh, the the name again, uh, folks can uh, Google and check out. Uh, what, what's the name of the joint where they should go to look for the details and tickets? It's Elmer's Texas Barbecue. Okay, and if you Google Elmer's Texas Barbecue, I don't know if there's a lot of those. That, that will probably be the first one that shows up. Click on it, and all the stuff will be there. Imagine and also, we will we will link to it. We will link to it also yes. uh, from the website and the t- Tumblr as well, so people know. Oh, about that reminds it. me too. I have uh, some be- behind the scene pictures from the production that'll be going up on the Tumblr. So right, so- yes, you sent some photos, huh? so people can get an idea. Like, oh, okay, well, it's going to look like this, except you know, in a different space. But yeah, they'll get an with, idea of what it looks with like with barbecue. Like. Yeah. With, but there'll be barbecue. Just imagine uh, the wonderful smell of barbecue wafting up during the murder. Yeah. Yeah, and once again, I just have to give another shout out to just look, my my wonderful cast and crew who 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 did, who did so much of a good job of putting this thing of helping put this thing on. Uh, Michelle, my co-director, the all, all of our actors are are behind the scenes people, costumes, props, and the whole Mad Hatters uh, board. There are all just I just have so just one. I have so much thanks for them to help put on the show because it was just such a great experience for me. Oh, well, okay, hold on. Awesome. I'm going to sign the uh, the director in the pit. He's starting to warm up the orchestra, so I got to <laughs> I got to cut you off right there with the thanks because they're starting to go. Sorry. Um, all right. Well, that's the program uh, for this time around. Uh, if you want to listen to more episodes of Just One More Thing, uh, new or old, uh, you can find us at jomtpodcast.com. Or in the podcast section of iTunes, or in uh, Google's recently launched uh, podcast thing, or whichever podcast app you happen to use. Uh, the point is to just uh, listen to it and download them. Uh, if you want to uh, get uh, more kind of day-to-day or regular updates about things uh, when we post new episodes, or just uh, find links online, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at JOMT Podcast, and you can also use that JOMT Podcast phrase. Follow us on Tumblr, where John posts screen caps. Um, other arts, other like pieces of art, and uh, links and photos and whatnot that uh, people alert us to on that fine web service. If you want to write to us, ask us questions, have suggestions for things or further theories, uh, you can write to us at columbo at thecitydesk.net 
or leave a comment. We like getting the comments in the comment sections, as long as they aren't that one dude who was a jerk to us for like a couple months straight and then just disappeared <laughs> off the face of the internet earth. Oh, you know what? No, that guy can come back too. It was always amusing to see him. Somewhat. And you know, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe he's dealt with whatever the problem was he was having. Could be. Could be. <clears throat> yeah, whatever. Dealing with problems. <laughs> All right. Well, that's program for this time around. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris. And uh, we will be talking to you again soon. Thank you. We'll see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Just one more thing. Well, I yeah. want to do a couple inflection things later in the show because uh, RJ, you do a you do a pretty decent Jerry Lewis parody, and I'd love to hear "Forgotten Lady" done in a Jerry Lewis. <laughs> maybe a little later. Oh, maybe a little later. Uh, oh, like, uh, I'll favor you with a little. We'll, forgotten we'll save lady. It. We'll save it. For oh, the, the poor forgotten lady. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to save lady it for the. Forgot. For I can't stuff. remember her. She's forgotten lady. Wow. Sorry. It's like watching a master at work. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta, gotta, yeah.